0: So, in a few minutes, we're going to be installing an elder. Now, let's just be honest. If you were like me, many years ago at least, what are you thinking? I know some of you are thinking, man, I chose a bad day to join or visit this church. Others, you've already looked at your watch before I even got through with that sentence, thinking, okay, oh God, this could be a long one. Well, the fact of the matter is, you wouldn't be alone. In fact, many of us, when we come to this sort of an event, particularly in the life of the church today, we, uh, uh, maybe we just see it as a kind of human thing. Uh, oh, here comes this church history stuff that's kind of packed on top of this gospel, all these other human institutions. Maybe we think about those who would lord over us. Maybe we get the chivers having been abused maybe by authority in the church in your past. I suspect there are some who are a bit nervous about a service like this. Perhaps you're thinking, you know, I I don't know that they're going to represent me. They're not like me for whatever reason, culturally or gender or whatever. Maybe you're just thinking this is kind of irrelevant. Don't we know it's all about love or all about the gospel, being saved, being set free from the commandments of men, of course. Yes, it is, all about the gospel, all about being set free from the commandments of men. So why an installation service? Well, the very heart of it, and I hope to convey this to you today, is the thesis that God is our shepherd. And that he does not cease to shepherd us when he is ascended into the heavens in Jesus Christ, that he is still personally, really, tangibly shepherding the flock of God. And in fact, without that shepherding, we would be as sheep lost and wandering. But we are prone as sheep to wander. And so I hope and pray that you will hear it, even now, something of a biblical exposition That will demonstrate to you that the eldership is an essential element of the gospel. That the institution of church government, carefully designed, carefully choreographed, is an ancient and cherished institution. So much so that after this sermon, I hope and pray it will change the way, let's say, you would ever look for a church again. I hope and pray that as a result of this sermon and in this context that you'll be thinking, I've got to have a church in my life because I want Christ, my shepherd, to be active in my life. And apart from the church, with an institution carefully choreographed from Scripture of the shepherding ministry of eldership, I would not have total Christ in my life. That's how bold this thesis is. We should pray, and I hope now you're not looking at your watch. I hope you're at the edge of your seat. Let's see if he can actually back that up. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence. and we know that that's not just an abstract concept. We thank for your real presence, in the mystery of your communion with your church, by the Holy Spirit, wherein the flesh of the body of Christ become the flesh of Christ and we thank you that part of that flesh had been set apart by your spirit to shepherd the flock of God as under shepherds, shepherds on behalf of Christ. We pray Lord that you would elevate such thoughts as to be the gospel in our lives today. That we would all the more Be gratified and thankful that you are with us that you have never left us here as orphans as Christ promised even that day come Lord Jesus in Christ's name we pray amen well again I want to start with this very quick observation that you can go throughout the scripture and one of the more cherished and ancient of ways to discern and understand God is God the Shepherd I mean I'm going to take you back to Genesis 48. There it is that, that he blessed Joseph and said, the Lord before whom my ancestors Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, Jacob giving the blessing to Joseph. In 49, of just a chapter after that, and then it describes God this way, the mighty one of Jacob, God. By the name of the shepherd is the rock of Israel. These are lofty praises for God. Praises that are endearing to be sure and cherish that God, more than our creator, more even than our redeemer, but even as our redeemer, is our shepherd. Immediately the thoughts of a shepherd come to mind, someone who protects me. Someone who leads me to green pastures and nourishes me. Someone who watches over me. I am prone to wander. Someone who comes after me when I wander. These images of a shepherd diligently watching over his flock night and day is the image of God. One that is celebrated by the Psalms. In chapter seven, seven, he says, Oh you God, led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. We come to the New Testament and we see the same idea, of course, now being invoked by Christ himself about himself. How it is that the institution of shepherding, even as it was mediated through Moses and Aaron in the Levitical priesthood, how it will be that that now the fulfillment of what was even foreshadowed by Moses is fulfilled in Christ as the true God-man where he comes onto the scene in John 10 and says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He goes on, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Right there is sermon text for an institution like this today. The idea that the shepherd here is described as a good thing. The idea that this good shepherd is a sacrificial calling. It begins to change the way you think of elders, doesn't it? It changes the way you think of government. If this is what the institution is about, are these who are called by divine unction of the Holy Spirit, anointed of God to fill an office greater than himself, anointed by God to fill an office that aspires to be Christ himself in the midst of the people, That should give any candidate or any elder the chivers. That which here we know is known. He's not lofty. He's not aloof. He knows me, and I know him. What an amazing testimony to the meaning of incarnation. The manner in which Christ came as shepherd is the manner of an incarnational Christ, a flesh and blood Christ, John 10, he goes on, I have other sheep that are not of this fold speaking of us today, those of whom the Gentiles have been added. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice so there will be one flock and one shepherd. The author of Hebrews then in chapter 13 says it this way in summary, now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant and so God eternal creator other God the God who is Otherness, God almighty all-powerful all-knowing holy wise discerning omnipotent omnipresent this great awesome God a God that we would rightly fear for he has such great power and he has such great authority over everything whatsoever that happens in my life this god takes extra steps to reveal himself to the flock of god as a shepherd so there we have it who wouldn't want that being god to be my personal shepherd But then the question is asked, how actually does this happen? How does God personally shepherd us? Well, herein we were brought to an ancient and cherished institution by divine institution versus human. It was God's plan. He initiated it. As we'll see, he established a carefully designed system where God would be with us, mediated through under shepherds we see it in the Old Testament first through Moses through whom the institution is given and then through Joshua we see it also in the New Testament first Christ and then through the Apostles and so we see this succession principle developing here from God to heads to the church and that brings us to numbers 27 the context here is Moses is preventing, prevented from leading Israel into the promised land. It's an interesting context. He had sinned. Moses learned a very crucial lesson, and yet he embraced it willingly. He learned that no person is greater than the office of shepherd. This is a huge principle that already we begin to think about. That is that the office is greater than the person who fills it. It's not about the person. No one testifies to this greater than Moses. For when he sinned, he then was dismissed from the office. The great Moses was not allowed to enter into the promised land with the people that he had so diligently saved and led out of captivity. That's unbelievable. No perks, no matter how long. No how, no what, no matter what your record of the past. There's never a day when this person who would be called to fill the sacred office of shepherd rises to a degree that the office compromise is compromised in favor of the person and any kind of personal game it's interesting in our passages we'll see it in a minute you'll notice how it was that they were they were particularly to be those who were not prone to be bribed that is those who are not prone for selfish interest in this position someone who'd be willing to sacrifice their person for it in other words we see the same thing in, in Paul in that passage we heard read in 20 didn't you how he went over and over to show that that this was not about an opportunistic job. It was not about his gaining some kind of privilege, whether it be prestige, money, whatever. But in 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 Numbers chapter 27, then, we have this incredible man of God who humbly recognizes that he had lost the privilege. But then he comes to God and he's concerned. He's not concerned for himself he's concerned for Israel as a shepherd's heart would be he would do anything for this church anything every shepherd should understand and know what that feels like if they're called and here's what Moses says Moses spoke to the Lord saying remember the context that they're going to be without Moses now without a shepherd a mediatorial shepherd Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation. For who shall go out before them and come in before them? Who shall lead them out and bring them that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd? God's answer, he answered Moses and he said, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him." Notice that, laying on of hands, a commissioning, but more than that, it's always associated with an anointing, an anointing of the Holy Spirit, setting this person apart by the Spirit's unction to fulfill a job that in his own flesh and blood he could not fulfill. And he says, you shall invest him it goes on well first of all it goes on to say and you shall commission him in their sight by the laying on of hands and you shall invest him with some of your authority that all the congregations of the people of Israel may obey and he shall stand before Eleazar the priest and he goes on to describe some of the things that he would be doing here but do you hear the context for this in numbers and so there we have some amazing principles how it is that God led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses through Joshua and eventually the institution even of the Levitical priesthood and Aaron, according to Psalm 77. Now you're asking, Pastor, do we see that in the New Testament? Oh, do we see it. And that's what makes it so significant. It's not as though this is just some ancient sort of ceremonial thing that people did under the Old Covenant. Very carefully, you're going to read the New Testament and you're going to find out that this, this institution is in the same context and situations reinstituted in the New Covenant on behalf of the church, the temple church. So, picking up in John 21, this is where uh, they had, uh, they're with Christ after eating breakfast after his resurrection. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, Son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to them, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to them, "Then feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Then tend to my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was greatly grieved because he said to him, the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Then Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. It's interesting then that that Peter writes his letter, and he has one of the most powerful chapters on shepherding the flock of God. Shepherd the flock of God, Peter will say to those who are in succession to him. So now we see Christ, the shepherd, the great shepherd, commissioning. Peter, and if you go back in that passage, by the way, there's a, literally an anointing of the Holy Spirit. He says he breathes the Holy Spirit upon the apostles. Again, this commissioning service by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And then Peter later, in the later years of his life, anticipating his own death, he therefore institutes as well this sacred institution of shepherd. And he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you Exercising oversight, not under compulsion. Notice, Simon, do you love me? Not under compulsion, out of love. Out of that love already experienced by Christ as our great shepherd, that love therefore becomes conduit into and with our lives into the people that we shepherd. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you not for personal shameful gain, but eagerly. And when the chief shepherd comes, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. Okay, so we have this amazing succession plan. But this brings us to our installation service today. Now, it's not accidental that in each case, the one in the Old Testament And then as we see this repeated in the book of Acts, under the ascension ministry of Christ in the book of Acts, it's not accidental that in each case, both the Old Testament and the New, the under-shepherds were in themselves rendered insufficient to the task. These pastor under-shepherds, if you will, those in succession to Moses and Aaron and the Levites, etc., that we characteristically see discerned in the office of pastor, that these pastors, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, were rendered insufficient to mediate the presence of Christ as shepherd in the life of the flock. And so there is both, in the Old and New Testament, the necessity of under-shepherd, I'm going to describe as as assistants. They're, They're fully, equally shepherds But they're particularly there complementing the work of the other under-shepherd, if you will. And that brings us to our passage. Let's look at Exodus 18. You heard it read today, very briefly. It's interesting that in chapter 3 of Exodus, Moses is introduced as tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jephro. Very carefully, the author wants to make you know that. That Jethro his father was a shepherd and the priest of Midian he led this flock beyond the wilderness and came to Harab the mountain of God and then he comes and there's this grand reunion with his father-in-law having been shepherding his sheep from afar and they come together And in chapter 13 our chapter in verses 1 through 12 we read of Jethro's conversion Jethro the father-in-law who is a gentile mark that carefully a gentile is converted to Christ you could say vis-a-vis the Old Testament manifestation of Christ through Israel he converts and becomes a Jew the conversion then represents a great turning point wherein this is the conversion this is the inclusion Of other cultures, of Gentiles. This Jethro, we're we're told, is a priest of Midian. He's already a priest, he's already a shepherd of the flock, of a people, and now he's converting to the religion of Judaism. Moses, father-in-law, then heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people. How God had brought Israel out of Egypt. And so in the context here, we have this. Moses, father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses, I'm reading here, in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and the two sons with her. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done. And Jethro said in response, after and I'm not reading it all for you, and Jethro's response to the witness, the evangelism of Moses to his father-in-law was this. Oh, blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the other gods. Because in his affair, they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. You know what you just witnessed? This is an ancient conversion story. This is evangelism and conversion. Man, I'm going to be doing this all day, I can tell. And what's really cool about this is, is you see, even here, the 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 foreshadowing of what we do even to this day he was no doubt circumcised as an adult believer and yet he was also admitted to the Lord's table which of course in that day was a sacrificial temple service and he therefore offered a sacrifice entering into the temple presence of God now it's that context, verses 1 through 12, that I just summarized, that picks up with verse 13. And here's what happened. Let me read it again. The next day, after this great event, all this has been going on, the conversion of Israel, and remember, it's a now a multicultural congregation. What do you think might happen in such a place? What do you think would happen when people from from this culture with this kind of flesh join a people with another history with another kind of flesh and they're brought together to be one congregation well there were just some disputes there were some controversies there was need for judges and rulers and people to to hear cases and to discern between this idea versus that idea and and to bring order and peace to the community. And so the next day we're told about this when Moses sat to judge the people and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the the people, he said, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God, to discern God's will. For us as a congregation for themselves and how they might walk before the Lord. Now does this sound familiar? If you're familiar with the New Testament, if you're even familiar with us in a church like this today, you know it's brought to my attention the other day, and I'm going to get back to this, that, that we are maybe now a minority-majority congregation. If you put all the minority uh, cultures together, it becomes a majority over against the white. If you will, or not over against. That's exactly what we don't want. But with alongside, you say, the white. Now that's interesting. It's interesting in our cultural context here in New Haven. It's something like that is going on in ancient Israel. We need to discern God's will. How do we do this program? How do we do that program? What does it mean to be a faithful Christian? What is it? Do I need to do this like the Jews used to do it? You see? interesting you thought it wasn't relevant huh and so he goes this way when they have a dispute they come to me and I decide between one person and another and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws and so here we have this multicultural congregation with this great conversion of the Midianites under the headship of Jethro now coming together and it created some conflict be expected. They're inquiring of God. So Moses said to his father-in-law, "Therefore, and no, I'm sorry." And so the issue of governing on behalf of God in such a way that the ministry of word and sacrament, especially, was not compromised. This is exactly what Jethro's solution was about. Picking up again, verse 17, Moses's father-in-law said to him, "What are you doing? Is not good." As in, you're doing this alone. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. It's amazing. The Midianite priest now commanding Moses. But he has an anointing of God. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent, notice that word, represent. Represent the people before God. And bring their cases to God and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they should walk and what they must do the ministry of word and and sacrament must continue in other words you cannot compromise that role Moses and so then verse 21 therefore look for able men from all the people notice from all the people we might Gloss we'll over that, but remember the context, this great inclusion of the Midianites, the Moabites, and others. All the people need to be represented. Men who fear God, who are trustworthy, and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people all their times, every great matter that shall bring to you. Now, this is important because what's particularly interesting is this word. Is translated in this text chiefs it's the word elder it is translated in all the scripture in the Old Testament in different language in different ways an elder was a chieftain of a clan it could be a village or tribal elder of sorts even as we see today in the, in the, in the Middle East it's this person who is among the people Who is anointed of God chosen to represent the people, their flesh, their culture, in a manner in which it is then brought under the lordship of the transcendent culture, if you will, of Christ or of God, the shepherd. You see, when we think about our own multicultural situation, we know throughout the Old and New Testament that all cultures are equal. All cultures are equal in the, as the image of God. They are equally imago des. We see that in the New Testament as well, how there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, and it goes on. Slave nor free. He deals with class, gender, and ethnicity right there. All equal. But never confuse that with the same. Equal but not the same it's the beauty of this amazing beautific vision of god of a of a sheepfold with many colors and in that respect you see there are now this one holy god with one holy covenant with one gospel you could say and i remember having this we were when i was a uh, uh, teaching over in in, um, Zambia, over the university there. That was one of the big issues that was going on in the university, and they asked me actually to give a plenary to the staff, to the faculty on that very issue. It was a wonderful conversation. Do we recognize a thing called black theology? Or African theology? That was the question. And the answer had to be yes and no. No, there is a transcendent theology, and this is exactly what was going on here. There is a transcendent God who is the God of all cultures, who himself is not one culture, but all cultures somehow derive from God and his incredible being. And yet, this, and there's one covenant, one rule of faith and practice that is given from God to all people equally, lest we be treated as unequal. And yet the manner or the form in which that covenant then is practiced among the people will consider the unique histories and the unique context of those people. Now, Again, I know I'm getting ahead, but this is exactly what the New Testament was all about after the Pentecost. Pentecost was, and you could say almost foreshadowed, In this great inclusion and conversion of Gentiles in chapter 13 of Exodus and in that context there became controversies must I become a cultural Jew in order to be a convert to Christianity says the Greek or the Hellenist must a Hellenist become a Hebraist in order to become a Christian or can a Hellenist be a Hellenist Christian and that's exactly what was happening in Jethro's day as it was happening in Acts. Where there was even an act in the council that would come together and, and, and rule on the disputes related to things like circumcision, like meats offered to idols and other such things. It's very interesting. I hope you begin to see what's happening here. How God has not left us alone to this. Please hear me. I especially want you to hear me in this, in this context where ethnicity and gender and, and class is all politicized as against each one another. We in this room cannot allow that culture, that politicized culture to enter into these doors. But we need a divine work of the Holy Spirit to unite us together under the one Lord, one baptism, one church, one Christ, one gospel, even as we respect the manners in which that can be accomplished without converting to Western white Christianity or Asian Christianity. I mean, there's a sense in which we must find the way. And now do you see how difficult this is? How big a deal Jeff Rose? I mean, why does it contain so much space in the Old Testament? You know, papyrus and things that they wrote on were very, very rare. They weren't ones to write a lot of words that they didn't have to. And yet they devote a whole chapter to this episode. It was a major event that's going to be picked up throughout the Old and New Testament. And so we have these governors, these Officers, these elders, these chieftains, and it says chieftains of, of various size clans and of various size culture groups, if you will, family groups, whatever they might have been. And these were coming in order to assist in the rule and the government and the ministry wherein the ministry of word and sacrament was preserved. That which would maintain the oneness of the church even as you have these elders who are now expressing the one faith, but helping to discern how that gets expressed in the many fleshes of the faith. I find this just fantastic. And so we're told in chapter 18 how it is that Moses listened to his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men from all Israel and appointed them as heads over the people, as officers over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. And they judged the people at all times. Hard cases they brought to Moses, but any minor case they decided among themselves. And so Moses came and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. You hear what now happens? The ministry of words. It's sacrament now is robust again. Jethro had observed how the ministry of word and sacrament was being compromised by the ruling elements of the church. And now they're back in symmetry. The oneness of the church, the diversity of the church, carefully choreographed by God himself as the shepherd over the one multicolored sheepfold. does your God love you does your God care about you does God care for his church to take this type of care to institute an institution like this it's just amazing nothing's new under the Sun that brings us to the acts And what's interesting is in Acts chapter 6, this is of course right after uh, the Pentecost and the inclusion of the Gentiles, I'll do this quickly, but do you remember what happened in chapter 6? There was a complaint by the Hellenists, the Hellenists, not the Hebraists, the Hellenists, the Greeks who had all come from different places, who had converted to Jesus Christ, and there was a complaint of the Hellenists that arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution." Now, it's important to understand what's happening here. Some have very erroneously thought about this as, oh well, it, you, know, it's, you know, they just weren't, they weren't distributing the food on the tables very well. No, there are huge issues going on that we'll find out as we go through Acts as to what is a widow. The word widow here, if you'll see it, he gives a teaching on it in Timothy, is a huge term. Because the issue of widowdom or being desolate, has much to do with how you define a membership. It comes down to membership. What was going on here is who has rights to the mercy offering of the church of Jesus Christ. And you must be a member in good standing then, just as we would say today in order to take the money and the the means and and the assets of the people of God brought to Jesus Christ for the sake of the people of God. And so this issue was about governing and ruling and discerning credible professions of faith. And must a Hellenist convert to become a Hebrew in order to become a Christian? Must they be circumcised if they are men? Must they practice certain dietary laws? Is this food kosher or not? There was a lot underneath the surface here. And again, you would know that if you continue to read Acts and the way in which the council ultimately in chapter 15 had to rule upon the very things that were being being here disputed in the early days after the Pentecost. Isn't this cool? I mean, it's as if Exodus 13 just came right up again. And here we go what is what is done and so the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and they said it is not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God to quote serve tables to discern who gets to eat and what they eat and how that relates rev- to the ministry of the Word and so what do they do they take their very institution that they would have known very well from the Old Testament Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit. There it is again. The mention of the Spirit, the anointing, of good repute, almost exact language from chapter 13 of of Exodus, and of wisdom to distribute. Then he goes on to say here, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And then listen to who they chose. Do these sound like Hebrew names to you? Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Philip, Pecorius, Nicanor, Timon, Paminas, and then Nicholas. These are Greeks. These are people converted to Christianity, submitting themselves to the one lordship of Jesus Christ, brought in, added to, and with the disciples. To govern the church of Jesus Christ and so it says in chapter 14 and this is significant oh I'm sorry Uh, and so the word of the Lord continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and so great many of the priests became obedient to the faith that was the result a congregation now with the right DNA in its leadership to be able to flourish in its mission to make disciples of every ethos, every nation. Will this surprise you then? Think about all the great things that happened in Acts. All the great things. Oh, people were being converted. Churches were being planted. You know, it says that these people were turning the world upside down. But do you know how Acts chooses to summarize the ministry of God in Acts. And every, Acts is divided into three major sections of three major regions that are being developed in its ministry. And every one, the conclusion is to specify that elders were appointed in every place where there was a church. I'll read you one. Acts 14. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them, there's that language, committed, you saw that commissioned them to the Lord and whom they had believed. You know the book of Titus was written that Titus would go and appoint eldership in Crete. On it goes. It begs the question, doesn't it? When you go and look for a church, when you leave this church, for instance, or if you're looking at this church, what are you looking for? Hopefully you're looking for the faithful ministry of the word and expositional preaching that brings you every week to the gospel of Jesus Christ, a grace-centered church, a missional church, that is a church that sees itself as missional by who we are and what we are called to do. It's not just a sending church, but we are missional in our city. You're looking for a missional church, a gospel-centered church. For another sermon, I hope that you would be looking for a sacramental church, believing that, that there is a sacramental culture to the nature of the church and the way that translates, the way we think of you, the body of Christ, as part of that sacramental partaking of Christ when we partake of one another as it's illustrated at the table every week, and executed. But I hope you are also looking for the church wherein Christ is king by virtue of the shepherding church. Is this a church that is shepherding the flock of God? And shepherding is not something you can do from a distance, we've seen. It's something that's got to be life, on life and it's not something that can be done by just anyone but it's someone who has been set apart commissioned anointed of the holy spirit by the laying on of hands who have measured up to certain qualifications use a whole chapter in timothy there's all kinds of very carefully worded qualifications in acts God did not leave it to us to discern who can be one of these people who fill this office. He didn't leave it to human imagination and creativity. Do you look for that church? I want to know about your shepherding. Is your shepherding ministry derived from the Word of God? Can you show me in the Scripture? Because you know power is dangerous people. Power is dangerous. Especially when you Report to have God behind it. Which is why you look for a shepherding ministry that is carefully regulated by the Word of God. Passages like 1 Peter 5, passages like 1 Timothy 3 and others, where the duties and the qualifications are carefully regulated. And they are discerned among the congregation at large and they are tested by those who are already the elders as we saw in both of these instances so that when we come to a service we can have at least some measure of confidence it's not infallible every every institution mediated by Christ on earth through the Holy Spirit is not perfected we have our flaws we will be blushing when we get to heaven. Your pastor will be blushing. Oh, gosh, what a blind spot I had. Thank God I'll have the grace of the gospel, and you will too. But this is important. I hope this has changed your life. You may be sitting out there today thinking, I don't really need a church. I'm here, somebody drug me, but, you know, it, this, that's the organization stuff. I can be a Christian. Well, maybe you can be justified. Sometimes we think that's all it means to be a Christian is to be justified, that is forgiven by grace through faith alone. Maybe you are justified, but you haven't experienced all of salvation yet at all. I mean, salvation consists of many more significant sorts of events in your life than just justification, as much as that's an important thing. Effectual calling, rebirth, sanctification, perseverance, assurance, Glorification, on it goes. Communion of the saints. All of which are important aspects of who we are as Christians. And now you begin to see, is the church an essential element of the gospel? Well, even if by just this one institution alone, the institution of the eldership, we would say, absolutely. Because without mediatorial elders... Christ is in no practical manner shepherding me. I love this quote that I gave you that maybe you saw. This quote by uh, and He says it this way. Christ the Lord. This this is a guy that wrote a couple hundred years ago. Christ the Lord is always himself present with his church. Oh boy, here we go. Kumbaya, kumbaya. truly and actually he goes on to say all right no kumbaya for the lord is never absent from his church but is always personally present personally doing and performing everything and all things ruling leading and feeding it himself but he affects and carries out this his rule and the feeding of the lambs in such a way as to remain always in his heavenly nature. That is the divine and intangible state because he has left this world. That's the big problem. How can Christ be personally my shepherd and be not in this world bodily? Answer, therefore, it has pleased him to exercise his rule, protection, and care of us, who are pleased him, uh, still in this world with and through the ministry of the word, which he does outwardly and tangibly through the ministers and shepherds. Notice he distinguishes those two, as I have through the service. We come to a great institution, I hope and pray, that more, ha- more than just you've been convinced that this is an essential element of the full gospel, but I hope you've been convinced that it's something you should cherish. When an elder walks into your life, what are you thinking? Are you thinking, "Uh uh-oh, here comes an elder who's gonna lord it over my life? That kind of elder is not allowed to exist in scripture. Peter says it himself, not as lording over those allowed to be your charge. If you have a bad image of eldership, I hope this is changing. No, this is an elder that's coming to protect you. It's a person who receives this office who knows that they are prone to wander. We are described that way, all of us, including elder persons, who themselves need elders in their lives, even as they are operating as elders in accountability. We are prone to wander. Do you know that about yourself? We are not able to feed ourselves. It takes more than just a casual looking at a scripture We need Christ to to feed us, Christ to chase after us when we're struggling in our lives, in our sins. Christ to protect us against evil that would walk through this door. You need the protectors. No, when an elder walks into your small group, God forbid, say, oh, he's coming to kinda check up on me in a negative way. No, you're gonna say, thank you, Jesus. This is a reminder. You have not left me as orphans. Just as you promised in chapter 14 of John, when he promises the Holy Spirit, and he then institutes even this succession of shepherds to the disciples who then instituted that succession to the shepherds of the church today. Praise be to God. You are that loved.